my screen jumped back to the beginning of the project for some reason. Oh. Um, and I'm trying to get it to, you know, where it like automatically follows along with the... Oh, yeah, yeah. it's doing that now again. Yeah. Okay, everything is fine. I hate when... when um uh, dolls do that they just stop tracking the playhead and you're like well this is pointless like what is this and it just seemed to like capriciously do this whenever it suits them it's really annoying hmm. i can't think of a good function to not be at the the like present point in the recording yeah no one ever wanted that i don't know what's going mm. on i think they just hate us it's the dolls rising up uh to kill us all um <laughs> <laughs> subjugate us with infuriation uh okay pre-show pre-show real quick thing in the pre-show are you aware of uh hashtag team trees has this crossed your radar bill uh a little bit but i don't know a huge amount about it so um, for anyone who doesn't know uh there's this youtuber called mr beast he recently hit 20 million subscribers and uh he wanted to do something for that milestone uh, and he put the word out to, to the fans, be like, what should I do? And someone was like, uh, why don't you plant 20 million trees? Uh, one tree for each subscriber. And then there's a petition and people just wouldn't let it go. So he was like, I guess I'm planting 20 million trees. So he got together <laughs> with, uh, I think it's called the Arbor Day Foundation is the charity and a whole bunch of other YouTubers. And the goal is to raise one dollar every dollar raised plants a tree through this charity and it goes under the hashtag team trees and i think i think it's teamtrees.org. we'll leave a link in the show notes i i donated some um some artifacts of books uh to the thing i would strongly encourage people to to go donate it's it's super fun and, and if you do go donate check out the most uh you can rank by uh who gave the most and it's just, it's just really fun. Like Elon Musk is in there being all internet-y and weird. Uh, and then like, there's like billionaires like outdoing each other to be like, to, to plant more trees, which is like hilarious and ultimately like a good thing. So um, you should go check that out. Go check out the website. Excellent. Yeah. Sounds like a good cause. Yeah. So I don't know how they're actually going to like do this logistically um, because you mm-hmm. can't just like plant a tree. You know, like, they'll die. <laughs> like, they have to be cared for. And, like, the correct trees need to be planted in the correct areas. But apparently it's all going to work out. I don't know. Um, but it's a good cause. Fantastic. And say what you want, say what you will about Musk. Um, but he knows how to internet and well. I will. You will. <laughs> uh, he knows how to internet well. Uh, and he, he can, he, he's definitely, like, the meme lord. Like, he can get stuck in and do the internet. Uh, do internet mm. in a very internet-y way. And it's very fun. Uh, and if it results in him giving a, a ton of his money over, then it's all all gravy by me. Um, so yeah, go check that out. Uh, hashtag Team Trees, TeamTrees.org. Uh, just give a book, plant a tree. It's uh, it's it's a worthy cause. It occurs to me, Bill, that uh, this is going to be a super heavy, uh, Edgar heavy show, because aside from the actual world building that's coming on, pretty much everything else I'm going to talk about. Uh, which is which is a bit worrying. <laughs> uh, I, I think it'll be fine. You're, you're not the worst. I, I, yeah, I love that. That implies also not the best. Um, <laughs> those are your words, not mine. My my words, exactly. Uh, follow up. Uh, first item of follow up. Uh, just real quick, some small, quick little points here. Um, Vulcan Trekkie forty five. You slash Vulcan Trekkie forty five. Um, we were talking about uh planets locking in the last show um, and mm-hmm. they reminded us that uh, there is a formula 
for how long it takes for planets to lock because this is part of discussion in the last show uh, and it's on the Wikipedia page. I will leave a link in the show notes to this page if anyone wants to uh, work out the math. So for the person who was asking about the double planet system, um, if you're now working with the idea that the uh, one planet will be ejected and the other one will slowly lock, you can figure out the sort of time scales you're dealing with and that could be quite a fun little thing. So I'll leave that link in the show notes uh, for people to check out. Yeah? Cool. Um, Gugu0202, who I believe has made the show before, uh, mm-hmm. brought up, uh, in response to Flag Corner, mentioned that um, the flags that we were talking about, the Joseon Dynasty flags, were very detailed because they were not meant to be viewed in the same way that Western flags were viewed. Uh, and they talked mm-hmm. about how they, they were more kind of like banners in halls. Uh, than kind of small little things fluttering the wind to be seen at a distance. And so that allowed them to be more uh, involved with their design um, and they didn't need to worry so much about optics. Um, And that's a very important point and a point I think that I and a lot of people uh, uh, forget uh, when they talk about flags. It's kind of like flags do what they do in this Western context and they've always done that and anything that deviates from that is wrong and obviously there's many different applications of uh, vexillology. Yeah. That, that is something I do kind of worry about occasionally that it, it might come off as a bit kind of Western chauvinist some of the way we talk about some of the flags but it is very much in the knowledge that it, it's, it's uh, coming from a Western point of view and it's not meant to be serious oh yeah for sure um, yeah so hopefully hopefully that is understood by the audience that it is very very tongue-in-cheek yeah the implicit assumption i hope is that everything we say with regards to flags uh, should be labeled with, labeled with imo at the end of every statement yeah yeah exactly um rec jensen who we have confirmed is rec jensen and not rec jensen not so- rec jensen yeah, so your your gut was right. One point for Edgar. Uh, <laughs> this person, uh, we were talking about the naming convention of the islands of Northwestern Europe. And mm-hmm. uh, this person rather hilariously suggested that uh, the islands of Northwestern Europe should be referred to as the Greater Skilly Isles. Uh, which I think is great, and I think I fully endorse that now, because uh, it's just hilarious. Everyone loses. Well, apart from Skilly, wherever Skilly is. Well, yeah, the, the Skilly Isles themselves, but uh, what's, what's the population of the Skilly Isles? They are real small. Two? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You mightn't be joking, for all I know. Uh, 1,097. Oh, sorry, that's the largest town. Apologies. Um, that's a lot, actually. Population, uh, 2,242. Now, for, for those who, who aren't aware, um, I believe Skilly is... Um, like if you imagine, oh, it's the silly Isles. Sorry, silly, <laughs> silly. Isles. That's even, that's even better. The Greater Silly Isles. I yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent backing it now. Um, anyhow, these islands are at the these are this at the southern tip of England, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, so if you kind of go down Cornwall and and keep going like along the 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 line Cornwall points along, you you kind of pass pretty close to them. Yeah, like at the, the sort of leg part of uh, Britain. I always think of Devon and Cornwall as being like a, a legs, like jutting out. Um, so they're around there. Uh, I fully endorse the naming convention. Uh, and like, anyhow, like before we were recorded, you mentioned that uh, it's the equivalent of calling the United States like Southern uh, Unoccupied Canada or something. 
uh, yeah, like that. That's I fully endorse that. So there we go. The Greater Silly Isles is where uh, I currently uh, live. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so and then the last thing is we got an email from uh, Benjamin I won't use full name here because they didn't go through the official form so I don't actually know how they want to be credited on air so I'm just going to use first name um, they left a response to uh, the radiotrophic fungi point from the last show where I brought up uh, that I, I I couldn't understand how an organic organism uh, could withstand uh, or use um, radioactive uh, energy um, as a form of uh, fuel and how that wouldn't, like, why wouldn't its DNA just be completely wrecked? Um, so it's it's a little bit of a long email, but I'll just read it out in full because I think it's worth, uh, worth it. In response to talk about the radioactivity uh, eating fungus, practically all cellular organisms have their DNA, have in their DNA, the code for a set of proteins known as, uh, in quotes, DNA repair proteins. These proteins are able to scan the DNA sequence and detect mutations and correct them. Although there is little information about the specific fungal species, it would be my best guess that they either have an abnormally high but necessary amount of genes to code for those proteins, or the melanin pigment that they produce to absorb the gamma rays blocks out enough radiation. And the last thing they say here is that uh, this is based entirely on their year 12 biology knowledge and many, many Wikipedia rabbit holes. Um, so, I, you know, uh, Ben is saying that they are not an expert here, but I, this explanation kind of makes sense to me. Um, they have a natural inbuilt sort of repair function and or whatever blocks radioactivity is just abnormally high in these mm-hmm. uh, mushrooms and even even in this fungi and even if that's not necessarily the case for these particular fungi uh, I think it's a, a logical um, or a plausible explanation in a sort of fictional context mm-hmm. mm-hmm. alright so those are my four items of follow up have you anything to add on any of those at all or should we go straight into world building <laughs> uh, I, think, I think that's pretty much everything um. Yeah, we don't have as as much follow up to do as usual because of the the pretty quick turnaround we had this week, and I can say week <laughs> this time. It's weird, isn't it? It feels so strange recording a show literally. What is it like? Maybe seven or eight days after. Yeah. After last recording, it's bizarre. So this is necessarily <laughs> going to be a bit of a short one, uh, peeps. But um, hopefully, hopefully that'll be okay. Anyhow, main topic. Yeah. Main topic, let's do it. So this week, I'm really enjoying this, um, <laughs> I have a map. Oh, two in a row. Two in a row. Giving the mm. people what they want. So yeah, what's uh, so give us a description. Again, links in the show notes, everyone, uh, to go check it out. Uh, for those who can't, um, who haven't got the ability to access visuals, uh, give us a rundown, Bill, of what, the, what we're looking at. Uh, so I have created a map of the southwestern American state of Mesa. The southwestern American state of Mesa? Yes. So a state in the, the southwest of the United States called Mesa. Well, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it might make sense, some of this later, uh, in, in Green Room. Um, but yeah, I've been thinking a lot about Western stuff recently and uh, westerns as a genre and as a concept. And um, I've had a, a, a real strong urge to 
run uh, a Western RPG. Mm. Okay. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I've ever mentioned this on the show before, because I've had this idea for a while. Um, but essentially, the, the, the map I've made here is an idea for a setting to run a Western RPG in and to kind of have it a bit sandboxy and allow the state to encompass uh, everything in all of the different tropes and all the all the different uh, concepts from westerns. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so if I if I give you kind of a description of it, sure. We have a map uh, aligned, you know, north at the top, as is uh, very common. Mm-hmm. And down the center, we have a long and winding river, and uh, forming the western border. Uh, there's also a long and winding river. They join near the bottom and they both drain towards the east. There's uh, mountains at the top, a large mountain mountain range, uh, kind of top and the central and the, the northwestern portion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few smaller uh, mountain ranges dotted about. There's a uh, three or four towns uh, well, okay, I'm going to count here. One, two, three, four, five towns marked. I might add more as it continues. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some forested areas in, in the higher altitudes. Running uh, east-west uh, about maybe a third of the way down from the north, there's a railway line. Uh, and where the railway line intersects the Central River, that's where the, one of the, the towns is, the largest town is. And in the southwestern portion of the map there's a of the state there's a reservation um is a, just a quick thing on the borders uh, you said that uh, the west and the south um the 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 rivers form borders mm-hmm. um i'm assuming that big black straight looking boxy line at the top is also a border yes so so to the south of 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 the state of mesa is mexico um and then to to the west is the like uh, just further territory, not yet uh, gaining statehood of the United States, and that black border is the the national border between the the two countries. Oh, okay, okay. hang on. So, so this is this uh, fictional state. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the time frame here? Because you say like unoccupied territories, that makes me think we're in the middle of like manifest destiny. Not unoccupied, but doesn't have doesn't have statehood yet. Oh, okay. So where are so you... still still a territory rather than a state. So what sort of time frame? Um, th- this is an interesting thing um, that I'll, I'll I'll talk a little bit more about later. Um, but I'm going to say post Civil War. Post Civil War. What what dates are post Civil War? I don't know enough about American history. Uh, American Civil War was the 1860s. I think it ended in 66. Really? It, it was that late? Oh, I keep forgetting that America's, like, comparatively young. Um, 1861 to 1865 was the Civil War, the American okay, Civil War. So it's post that. Okay. And uh, yeah. does this this state of Mesa, this exists in a universe that is completely fictional? Or, like, is this bordering some actual real states that actually existed in real life? Yeah, that, that's a funny one to, to try and deal with. Because if you start saying, you know, that you're literally right to the east of Texas, then um, for, for me personally and how I like to world build, I have to make everything else geographically consistent and that completely constrains my ability to actually world build. Okay, so so you, you've kind of like re-rolled the dice on the states 
and are seeing what's what's happening and Mace has popped up and everything else around it is completely of your own construction. Um, I'm going to say it's going to be broadly pretty similar, um, but we're just not going to look too closely at it. Okay, okay. Ma- that maintain sense. the kayfabe. Okay, that makes sense. And you were saying about the sort of tropes. You're going to it's a sandbox environment that contains all the tropes of uh, of westernness of the genre mm-hmm. of the western. Um, what yeah. for you are those tropes? The the thing I think that's important to to remember is that it's it's not just uh, deserts and. Uh, shootouts in desert towns and the late frontier had a diverse array of climates and geographies so um while you have the the you know the the gunfights in the scrub you've also got to have mining and you know forests and things um i mean if you have ever seen i i I recently was watching uh deadwood and that's set in dakota which is nowhere near or anything like the southwest or what mm-hmm. we think of as kind of the the classic, um, you know, Monument Valley kind of stuff. Uh, so you've got to account for that. Um, another thing is sort of riverboats. That's that's a trope that comes up not infrequently in in westerns, and it's one that I associate very strongly from uh, films that I saw as a kid. So I had to think, you know, how how could we fit that kind of thing into this setting, mm. and. You know the Great Plains. That's all part of it as well. Uh, so I was trying to find a way that I could sort of realistically justify having a variety of different environments in something the size of a state. Oh, cool, huh? How how big is this state roughly? So it would be. It's it's roughly. I'm not going to be too precise about these things, but it's roughly where New Mexico is. Like I, I, I'm considering the mountains at the top to be the the southern end of the of the Rockies. Okay, sure. And that's roughly that roughly is where New Mexico is, or they they come to an end, or the the southern limit of them is kind of in in New Mexico. Um, okay. So it would be something on that kind of scale. Do you know what this reminds me of a little bit? I do not. Uh, the I, I just started watching The West Wing. Um, mm-hmm. I I realize I'm way behind the rest of the rest of the world here. Um, but I was reading a bit about it, and the impression I get is that the West Wing is um, it leans heavily into like a fictional version of the states. Um, like mm-hmm. they'll they'll mention events that occur in fictional cities around the states and um and things like that. Um, this reminds me a little bit of that. It's kind of like this is like fictional New Mexico. It like looks. Uh, it in part looks, feels, and smells a bit like uh, southwestern um, the the southwestern the, the southwestern area of you of the U.S. But just isn't uh, is like a, yeah. a fictional version. But that's I think that's really cool. It reminds me of the West Wing. Yeah, I mean you you gotta have it close enough that people will understand what you're getting at without being tied down to being exactly the same. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and what is it about westerns that you like, man? What is it about this genre? Because I find I, um, I find this genre in its pure form utterly impenetrable. I cannot stand it. Uh, and the only I mean, sort of westerns that I dig are like um, modern takes on westerns. So like like Breaking Bad, for example, I would consider to be a spaghetti western. Um, but I can consume that fine. But if you were to get me to watch mm-hmm. I don't know, like Dirty Harry or something, I'd just be like, no, nah, man, it's just, I can't do it. Uh, D- Dirty Harry is set in 1970 San Francisco. <laughs> 
Oh, is it? Oh, sugar. What's yeah. give me a Clint Eastwood film? <laughs> I don't know anything about westerns. What's a Clint Eastwood film? Um, High Plains good, Drifter. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. That's a western, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Okay. Is Dirty Harry a Western, but set later? Or is it just like, kind of just um, completely I, I, wrong? I've never seen it, so I don't know if it counts as a Western. I mean, he's a he's a rogue cop. I'm, I'm sure there's probably a, a bit of a Oh, Western. no, I'm, I, I'm just very wrong with that. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, anyway, good. yeah, can't watch Good, the Bad, Not the Ugly, can't watch Breaking Bad, don't usually get Westerns in the pure form. What is it about this mm-hmm. genre that you find appealing? That I like history. Mm-hmm. And that I like the nineteenth uh, century, um, and specifically, it's been in my mind recently uh, because over the summer I played a fair bit of Red Dead Redemption Two, <laughs> and I got really uh, into it. And yeah. I didn't have it myself; I was I was going to over to my mate's house to play it, um, and I got quite into it. And I've I've actually recently bought an Xbox, um, oh, uh, with that game secondhand. So I don't think uh, Rockstar got any money for it, um, which is good because they were uh, awful labor conditions for the making of the game, but that's a separate issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's, just, it's been in my head and, you know, I've been enjoying those kind of tropes. And as I said, I, I was watching uh, Deadwood, which is a very different kind of uh, story. And it's, as I said, it's set in Dakota rather than being set in the Southwest. Um and it's it's a it's another another angle to things. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just a, a thing I've been inside a bit recently, and I've had this long running idea for an RPG that I, I wanted to want to run, and I figured I could kind of scratch a bunch of itches all at the same time by making up a setting in in which I could potentially run the RPG. Can I pose the original question just one more time? Uh, because yeah. they kind of you've kind of dodged the question a little bit uh, in that, like, uh, yeah, like what is? I realize that you're this has occurred because you've been consuming uh, yeah. Western flavored stuff. But what is it about the Western flavored stuff that appeals to you? Aside from like, hi- like, is is history the only component there? I I, I don't know. I mean, like, I I'm not super into Western films. Oh, interesting. Do you read Western literature? Um, I bought a, a, a book that was getting thrown out of the library a couple of years ago called A Gunfight Too Many, and it was a real, real cheap Western, and it was absolutely terrible, and I never finished it. <laughs> and I've never tried any others. I, I would have no objection to trying, um, <laughs> but I never have. Um, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I just, like, you know, I, I just haven't seen that many, and I'm not very good at watching films, so... Okay. All right. Okay. So you you're just yeah you're just consumed uh, in a milieu of Western and you dig history and hence this 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 map. I guess so. Okay. Interesting. Um. I've, what have I missed? Um. I haven't really missed anything as such. But there's. I'm just going to talk you a bit through the the, the different things. Mm-hmm. Um. So the large river that's running down the center is called the. Uh, Tunalini River? Tunalini. 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 Cool. Um, and that's like a, a broad, slow one. Kind of kind of trying to evoke um what the Mississippi is 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 a bit yeah. like, or you know, the river boats paddling up and down. Um slightly different kind of climate and, and biome, but getting at that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um as I said, the mountains at the top there are the Rockies. Um, 
the the town at the bottom of them uh of of where like the 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 fork there just at the bottom of the the mountains is a sort of mining town and there's uh, currently a railway under construction between those two uh between there and the state capital which is just south on the river yep um the area then in the sort of northeast is a plainsy kind of area leading up to the mountains and in the southeast is more uh, scrubby and deserty. Sure. The southwest is very much more desert, apart from those areas of forests in the in the mountains. And that's actually based again on on New Mexico. There's quite a lot of forested areas in New Mexico, just um, in in higher elevations and in places you wouldn't necessarily expect them from rain shadows and things. But mm-hmm. there they are. Um, I'm also going to put a petrified forest somewhere. Um, maybe in you see the the mountains kind of in the center there, where the where the river flows east and then back west, and then there's sort of triangle of mountains there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, somewhere around there, I think I'm going to put a petrified forest, just because I think that's really cool. And yeah, so logging and mining then, and, and the things in the north, the yeah, cattle and stuff in the north. Uh, well, cattle all over because you can, you know, just you just need a large expanse if it's if it's more arid land. Um, mm. And then the the town then further south near near the what is the the kind of second last fork there near the Mexican border. Uh, that's going to be an old Mexican town from the time that that area was part of Mexico, oh, which cool. would be accurate again to history. Yeah, um, for sure. And then th- those two towns on the western side of the river are more like your more classic frontier towns. Um, I'll add more stuff as I go. Hmm. Um, I haven't fully decided everything else that I want to put into it. Um, and then, of course, we've got, the, as I said, the reservation in the southwest. Because I think that's an, an important part to have to include Native Americans in, in these kinds of stories. For sure. For sure, yeah. Um, do, do you know what you need, man? Do tell. You, you need to to design a really bad state flag. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I actually might. I am only semi joking. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's cool. I, I like. I like. This is really cool. I had not uh, expected any of this, listeners at all. Like he just Bill just dropped this, and I was like, "Oh, cool! This is a, another thing from me, Karen." And like, boom! Um, it's just like, yeah. Alt US. I'm like, what? What? Is, what is this? Crazy. Throwing a curveball, Bill. <laughs> um, I'm glad you enjoy it. I'm glad you enjoy it. Um, so it's it's still a bit of a work in progress. Uh, my idea for the RPG. Well, I have a couple of different ideas. Um, I'm not going to tie it to a specific year, because uh, you know, again, I don't want to have it too tied down by reality. And if I start thinking about things like that, I'll have to account for everything. So I'm mm-hmm. going to leave it a little bit more vague. It'll be in. It'll be probably be set just after Mesa gets its statehood in the year of eighteen. The idea for that the the players would all the player characters would be from outside North America. Oh, yeah. So I think it would be cool to because you have the, all the sort of the classic uh, characters, um, and I thought it'd be kind of more fun to try and do something other than that. So. The, char- the player characters, sorry, the players would go off and they would find an interesting thing in history 
that appeal to them or a concept from somewhere else. And then they'd have to come up with a story of why they're in the United States or why, why they're in North America. Um, and yeah, it just, I, I think it's just cool to kind of tie the different things together and make the, make the players look into something other and get them invested in their own stories that way. Well, that's so, cool. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to be like a, um, you know, maybe you want to be like a Russian whaler who, for whatever reason, uh, has wound up in the American Southwest. That could be an interesting story to tell. Mm-hmm. It avoids the cliche of uh, I am the cowboy, uh, born and exactly. raised in this town. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Or if you want to be like a deposed member of uh, an Arabian noble family. Um, oh, wow. And that would also open up like cooler things that you could, instead of just having a gun, just having a six gun, if you're a giant Russian whaler in the Southwest, maybe you still have a harpoon and you'd like to, you like to throw things at people. <laughs> or yeah. if you're a, if you're a deposed Arabian prince, um, you're probably going to be pretty good at horses and swordplay. And I don't know, I just think that could be like, very characterful and a lot of fun. Or, or you could just be a uh, high school chemistry teacher gone rogue and uh, selling meth. But only if you're not from North America. Yeah, cool, man. I, uh, I, I, I enjoy. Are you? Uh, should I do this up in Photoshop before we go live? Um, yeah, I might. I might just uh, uh, add a little bit more. Or uh, well, actually, no. What's there is is pretty is pretty much there. I might just like slightly change the course of the of the railway or something. Okay, um, cool. But that's that's basically it. So, um, if you don't mind. Yeah, I I, lo- I love touching up your maps. Oh, for, uh, listeners, um, Bill sends... What we're looking at now is like a sketch of a map, like a pen and pencil uh, rough sketch. Yeah. And so the thing that you see in the show notes is usually me... Uh, having done a bit of Photoshop uh, on it, and I, mm. one of my one of the, like uh, my favorite parts of uh, mapping podcasts, so to speak, is um, just like putting on a podcast cup of tea and just spending like an hour, an hour and a half working on the map uh, while listening to a podcast. It's it's great crack. I really enjoy touching up maps. Oh, great! Yeah, anything else to add, or should we move on to green room? Um, that's everything for now. Um, if if uh. If listeners want to like make suggestions for for what characters they would run, I'd actually love to hear that. Oh, um, so my my thing for it is it has to be a character that could be be somehow be in the United States after the American Civil War. Um, so you've got a, a fair bit of history to to deal with there. So let's say like the thirty years there will be a little bit fluffy about when things exactly are taking place. Um, you know, but tie it to something that you find interesting in history or in other cultures or a specific historical event. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd love, to, I'd love to hear people's ideas. Yeah, same. That would be a great follow up next episode to go through the ideas. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to blast through a couple of things. There's loads I could talk about. Stop me if you get bored here, Bill. Uh, one thing I definitely want to talk about though is Bank of Artifacts. Here, it's back again. Excellent. Uh, we got, or I suppose I got a, a package from a listener, Josh, um, who like who sent a bona fide package, like it was a box, and it had it contained in it there was uh, four or five uh, things of licorice, uh, both salmiac <laughs> and like normal licorice. Um, two works of art, art depicting myself and yourself. 
um, there was a letter, there was four banknotes, uh, and then there was a bot- bottle of uh, Norwegian licorice flavored liqueur. Um, oh so, wow! Yeah, so this is the most I've, I've ever received f- from a single person. And whilst again, whilst I am super happy uh, to receive all these things, uh, please don't feel the need to like um, you know spend a fortune on licorice flavored drinks or anything for people. Keep keep it keep it simple, you know. Because um, I always feel equal parts like uh, happy and kind of like oh god, this person must have went through an awful lot of trouble. This is terrible. Um, so. Uh, but but yes, but but thank you, Josh. So and then Josh uh, wrote a, uh, a before we get into the money, we'll, we'll, go, we'll just briefly go through the letter. It's a, a four page long here, so I'm not going to read it all out in the air. A um, couple of cool things: they started listening when they're about eleven or twelve years old, and they're now going off to college, which is just crazy <laughs> that they uh, that they have been listening for so long and started so have young. We, have we been doing it that long? Well, uh, well, no, no, they're sixteen, so they must be going off to college like next year, early seventeen. Um, yeah, I guess we've been doing this for like five, five years. I suppose we have. Yeah, we're, co- we're coming on five years. Oh, yeah. five years, man! It's crazy. We're so old. Oh, I'm not sick of you yet. You're not sick of me. I'm sick of me. Um, so uh, the, Josh goes on to um, talk about his favorite episodes, um, how world building has affected his life. And in a sort of like trend that I'm seeing uh, an awful lot, he, he um, they incorporated world building into their sort of formal education by uh, taking it. This is uh, the English school system here we're talking about, but they like mm-hmm. were able to like sort of set their own project kind of thing. I don't really understand uh, how this works, but the project involved world building, um, which is pretty nuts. World building uh, got them interested in studying physics, uh, which again is class. Um, so yeah, just really cool stuff. Uh, then at the, at the end here, uh, they ask, um, I would imagine that I'm one of the few listeners who plays rugby and was wondering if either you or Bill ever took any interest or played at school or anything. Um, also ask Bill if he knows that there's two McGraths on the Irish uh, rugby union team. So, uh, you ever played rugby, Bill? Um, I played a little bit just like in PE and stuff in school and I got like quite enthusiastic about it in fourth year. Um, did you? But yeah, because I, 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 I'd never really been that much into sports for, or not like for like many years before then, since I was, since I was very young. Um, and I like was like, yeah, we should like actually pursue this uh, in in the year, um, but no one else was that interested, so nothing came of it. <laughs> where where did you play? What position? Um, I can't remember. Okay, all right, that's interesting. I was full sure you'd just be like, no, nah, I took no interest because yeah, I had you pegged as um, you got into uh sports later in life, like with the like your. Your um, love of UFC is a fairly recent development, and I always had the impression that prior to that, you were kind of like um, at best, at best, like agnostic when it came to sports. I mean, I I, I take a passing interest, I, you know, but I've never been super super into it. But there was kind of a we 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 did some training for it in in fourth year because for for anyone who's not familiar with the Irish school system, uh, fourth year our transition year. Uh, is a sort of it's kind of a gap year within school it's an optional thing mostly mm-hmm. and you get to try out things you wouldn't normally get to try out um, and in 
this year, one of the things we did was was rugby, and there was like we were kind of a suggestion that like we, if like enough people were interested, we might actually play competitively against other schools, not like in a serious way, but you know just to make a thing of it. But it never happened. Oh, um, I <clears throat> I did play rugby at school because I went to a boarding school. Um, I remember you saying that, yeah, yeah, and a lot of boarding schools. Uh, in Ireland, um, tend to be kind of very rugby heavy, um, mm-hmm. particularly in like Leinster, which is where the capital is situated. I didn't go to school in Leinster; I went to school in in Connacht. Um, but yeah, I got into rugby through that. Um, I played for not not that long. I think I gave up when I was like fourteen or whatever. Um, I played uh, throughout my illustrious career. I played at out half. Uh, I played centre for a bit, and they also had me at winger. Um, because I was thin, thin and fast. So I wasn't like the big birdie lad who like smashed people in the scrum. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the thing. And just quick, quick little anecdote. My most, my most triumphant moment uh, of my rugby career was we were playing uh, some competition somewhere. I can't remember. Um, and we were playing against a team called Sligo Grammar, um, as in the Sligo Grammar School rugby team. Mm-hmm. Um and our college, our school and their school always had a fierce rivalry that went back like generations. Um, so we were playing them anyways, and we were up at the touchdowns and we were about to score. Ball popped out, they got the ball, and then this guy ran from one end of the pitch to the other end of the pitch and uh, completely open field and was going to score for the team. And I didn't really think about it. I just decided to chase him because I figured chase the guy. And so myself and himself ran the entire length of the field. And just the very end, as he got into the touchdown zone, I managed to nab him. uh, And we kind of all like clattered down the ground in a big heap of of two bodies. And there was enough, um, I guess, reasonable doubt that the referee at the other end of the pitch couldn't see the, the, the grounding of the ball clearly. And so couldn't give the try. And so I, we, we both kind of, after both of us are in the other end, we, we kind of get up, we look, and like my team is cheering and the other team has like heads in their hands. And I'm like, oh, I guess I prevented that try. That's really cool. And I <laughs> ran back and it felt really good. Um, it felt like a real sort of like triumphant, like feat of of uh, like endure, physical endurance because we had to run for that long. And it was that much of a lost cause, but it worked out in the end. So that was that was one of my favorite moments of rugby. That's a really sweet story. It's a good story. Yeah, yeah. Now, to the Bank of Artifacts contribution. No, can can I just ask? Yeah, go for it. Can I ask Josh if I can use that that drawing as a profile picture on things? <laughs> I'm sure you can. I I don't know about like should we should we should we put these pit these drawings uh, uh, online for people to see? Because like they're borderline uh, not safe for work. <laughs> they're 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 pretty safe for work. I mean, I, okay, they're they're. Yeah. I'm shirtless and ripped. Like it's nothing indecent. Okay, no, 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 not at all. It's just it's just a weird one. Like uh, okay, I suppose while we're at this, so listeners, the two drawings that we got from from Josh are Bill is shirtless and ripped and holding an eagle. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and I am also shirtless and ripped, and I am holding a globe as is fitting in one hand. In one which hand, is the cool thing. It's not. It's not like it's not like an atlas. Like you're struggling with the entire weight of the world on your shoulders. You're you kind of you look quite serene. And in in one hand, like you're holding like like you might like hold a basketball when you're trying to look cool. 
Yeah, um, I, I look quite disinterested. Like you know the way those you know the way people who take uh, who are really good at taking Instagram photos, they look all disinterested when they pose. I'm like that. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I, I'd like to ask Josh if if I can can use that as a profile picture on things, um, <laughs> and if we have their per- permission to post it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, they're they're hilarious. <laughs> anyway, uh, so on to the money component of Bank of Arfexia. Yes. Okay, so Josh sends, uh, sent us, links in the show notes for people, uh, Josh sent us 1,000 Indonesian rupiah, rupiah, I, I don't know how it's pronounced, um, 100 Indonesian rupiah, rupiah, 20 Bangladeshi taka, and 5 New Zealand dollars. Now, they said that uh, Moses' currency is old and out of date, um, which mm-hmm. is even cooler. Um, I think the I think the New Zealand one may, maybe isn't um, from from what I recall of the letter, which I've now put away. Um, but someone could fact check me on that. Um, so I now have if you if for people want you can go to show notes. Uh, you can go check the Bank of Artifacts map. I now have like a huge chunk of the world done, um, and like Oceania is looking great now because like Australia and New Zealand are taken care of. Um, so it's really epic. So thank you, Josh. So every, every continent is ticked off? Uh, yes. Obviously not Antarctica, yeah. but yeah. Not Antarctica, but there's no money there. So the only kind of major regions that you'd, you'd need to fill in are Central America, mm-hmm. uh, the Caribbean, and then West Africa and East Africa. Yeah, Africa is is uh, a bit lacking at the moment. Um yeah. But like, yeah, it's it's a difficult one though. Like, I like how many people would have, say, Mali money, for example. Like, that's I'm sure I have Zambian money somewhere, but I can't find it. Ooh, like Zambian notes. Yeah. Hmm. Is it? If you find it, do you want to send them my way? Um. Please and thank if, you. If I have, if I have more than one, Quacha. Yeah, Zambia. Quacha. I'm, I'm sure I have some of the old Zambian Quacha. It got it got re. Um, reissued in oh I can't remember 2012 or something mm-hmm. uh, yeah the new Quatcha 2012 um, and mine's from 2006 oh wow that's cool um, yeah um, I, I think as well uh, another region that uh, is kind of missing is um, most of the Shtans and like India. So like Pakistan, Afghanistan, India. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the Indian well, subcontinent area is, is kind of missing, which would be, um, yeah. which would be nice to get. Um, well, so yeah. I, I'm just thinking like, I was thinking South Asia, you've got uh, Bangladesh now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in Central Asia, you've got Kazakhstan and uh, Kyrgyzstan, isn't it? Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan, yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's an awful lot more stands to be covered there. And also, there's, like... There are several stands remaining. Exactly. Uh, and and as well, like, uh, excluding Saudi Arabia, like, most of the Middle East is bare as well. Um, yeah. That'd be, that'd be a fun one to get. I have plans at some stage to perhaps go to Oman. Um, it's a, It seems to be naturally... Uh, like, it, it seems to be a, a land of great natural beauty, and that's why I travel. Um so I might be able to, like, myself bring home some o- Oma- o- Omanian? Omanese? Omani? Omani. I would Omani, imagine. I think. Yeah, Omani money. Um, but anyway, people, have a look at the map in the show notes. Uh, and if you happen to have the lowest dom- denomination of any currency that is not yet covered on the map, and you'd like to send a letter 
to the Bank of Artifexy and perhaps get it read out on air and have your questions answered, uh, consider doing that. All the details are in the uh, show notes. Sweet. Cool. All right. Um, so that is Bank of Artifexy. A quick update on the marathon. Yes. I've been dying to hear about this. Yeah. It, 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 Bill, it did not go well. It was not oh, good. Okay. So it was, it was uh, really quickly, it was a calamity of like bad luck. I, I ended up a week before the marathon, I got sick. Uh, I was mm-hmm. still sick on the day of the marathon. And the night before the marathon, I didn't sleep very well. Uh, so I, I I came to the start line like a like a zombie, and I was like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna run until like my body just stops. Like I knew I wasn't going to do it, uh, and I did the half marathon. the The route runs just by my front door, and the half marathon point is like 200 meters down from where I live. So I ran by the half marathon point. Was like this is not going good, and I just I just quit and just went home. Um, so. That was unfortunate, but hey, what can you do? Uh, it was out of your control. It was out of my control, exactly. Yeah, and I'm still. It's still pretty cool that I like. I ran a PB for the marathon, for the half marathon, whilst being nice. whilst being sick and sleep deprived. So I was like, on a better day, I think I would have done fine. Yeah. Um. So that was that was unfortunate. Uh, do, do you think there was a psychological element there as, as well as like a purely physical one? Like you'd been training for the the marathon, so you were you were in in good physical shape sickness notwithstanding but that you had your sights on a a further goal so getting to the halfway point was easier than if you if the halfway point had been the ultimate goal you see what i mean not really <laughs> so you were you were aiming to get to um to, to the full way you're aiming to do the full marathon right kind um, kind of kind of yeah, I mean, I know, I know you were you were you were sick in that. Like, were you planning on stopping at the at the 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 halfway point? No, no. Like, I was aiming to do the full marathon, but the aim was not just to complete the marathon. The aim was to do it at a particular time. Like, I could have totally on the day slowed right down and just like crawled yeah. myself across the finish. But that wasn't the purpose. Was not to just complete one. The purpose was to complete yeah. it at the time I set for myself. So, like, I always think there's kind of a. Uh, a psychological element to, to anything like this and when you were aiming to get to the 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 final point the finish point then your your mind follows kind of a different path over time than if you were aiming to do the half marathon and the the, the half marathon point was your finish point oh so you're so you're basically saying that like was if the marathon was a half marathon do you reckon you would have only made half of the half marathon sort of thing? No, I, I mean, would you have made a, a worse time on the half marathon, do you think? Because you would have known the end was coming and you would have maybe paced yourself differently and and p- prepared for that for being your, your entire output. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Um, that's a hard one to answer, but perhaps. I, mm. I'm with you that like uh, it there is a, like, a big mental component. And yeah. your your brain just like it's weird without you even trying. Your brain just sets itself up differently for different durations. Yeah. Um. Like for example, the I, inner I, game. You what? Say again. The inner game. Yeah. Exactly. Um. For example, there was uh one of the uh, workouts before the marathon before I got sick was it was an eighty minute run. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was running around the city, everyone's going great, looked at my watch and I was like, wow, I'm like 50 minutes into this and it feels like I've just left my house. Um, 
and that's by, that's very true the fact that my brain was set up for like you're going to be out for a long time so it's kind of it was okay with with duration um but then another workout that I, like immediately followed required me to only be out for 30 minutes and i found myself after 15 minutes looking at my watch being all like wow this is taking a long time like because your brain is like yeah. this is a short duration you know that's exactly the kind of thing i meant yeah yeah it's nuts um so so anyway it's, that was that was marathon uh update uh it, it's a bummer it worked out like that but there's i have another one i've the did i tell you about the arctic circle one uh i'm not sure so I my next attempt at a marathon is in June 2020, and it's in a place called Tromso. I'm probably butchering that uh, in Norway, and yeah. it's a marathon that is ran at night during the midnight sun. Class. Yeah. So that's my next attempt. So hopefully I'll complete the full marathon at that that at that thing. So, so yeah. Uh, well, I'm sorry that it didn't it didn't work out the full way, man. But uh, good on you for for showing up on the day anyway. That's pretty sweet. That's pretty awesome. I infected many people by illness. I was patient zero at that <laughs> at, at the start line. Um, but but yeah, what can you do? Like it, like like you said, it was all in my hands. It was grand. Um, anyway, so that's marathon. Uh, real quick, uh, with two last things we can talk about here. But real quick, uh, you've you watched El Camino. I watched El Camino. I'd like to hear your thoughts on El Camino. Spoilers incoming, folks. Spoilers for El Camino incoming. I liked El Camino. I did not like El Camino. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, why did you uh, give us a brief uh, thing about why you liked it? Um, it was. I mean, I, I've always enjoyed the character of Jesse. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was good to follow his story and see see like parts of his story you hadn't seen before, and kind of see it, it that it didn't end for him at the end of the original series at the end of breaking bad and because like breaking bad ended with a, a sort of a suggestion of hope for him but it was kind of tempered by well, it was tempered by a lot that things weren't fully resolved and you know the, the law uh were, were still after him in that um and i thought el camino resolved that in a satisfying way um and you know he finally he 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 finally gets some some peace and he finally gets out i thought it was it, it made me realize something i don't ever remember being aware of in the the series when i watched the the series originally um the importance of vehicles and cars to the series really yeah was there an important... i mean yeah i guess yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. Walter Walter drove that banger, and then yeah, I, I was aware of that because I remember someone point. I mean, I I don't know what that car is. I don't think we have them over here. But I remember reading, you know, that kind of symbolized that he was a he was a loser. It was like kind of a joke of a car. Mm-hmm. Um, but so much of it happens in vehicles, and so much of it happens around yeah. driving, and the people's vehicles like symbolize different things, and even like their their first lab is a vehicle their first lab is the rv yeah that's fair it's the um, uh it's the horses of the spaghetti western yeah yeah i i think i think that's a fair comparison to make and like the, the importance of of journeys and, and and driving around and stuff and that carries over into uh better call saul as well no i haven't i haven't seen the most recent season of better call saul i think i i started the first episode and i wasn't feeling it um mm. but like he he 
at the beginning of that, he drives this kind of banger with like mismatched panels. Yeah. Um, and he, at one point he gets this really, really sweet car and it frustrates him because it doesn't, it doesn't work the way his, his previous one worked. And he had his old one, his old banger was set up a certain way for him. Um, and like he tears out like some of the lovely uh, yeah. interiors so he has somewhere to put his phone, something like that. That was um, a real good bit of visual storytelling because like clearly the yeah. symbolism there is that like he he knows that he's crooked and that's where yeah. he's comfortable and he's trying to force himself to be like a um uh, an upstanding lawyer and like yeah. it doesn't work and it makes him uncomfortable just like this car that an upstanding lawyer has mm-hmm. is is uncomfortable to him. It was a really good bit of visual storytelling. But but yes, but El Camino. <laughs> so why didn't you like it? Uh, I so the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because I've complained uh, in the past about how uh, I don't like this culture of making uh, prequels and like second, third, fourth, fifth versions of a thing or um, installments of a series. Um, And I think this El Camino exemplifies or sort of highlights um, the pitfalls of this because it's a movie didn't need to get made that kind of is too uh almost narratively prescriptive um and that is completely unoriginal and it was only kind of made i'm assuming to just kind of like we need to make more books off the breaking bad brand and it just really annoyed me in in a way that breaking uh breaking Saul a uh, better call Saul didn't because that <laughs> was a true it wasn't really it didn't play like a prequel or anything, it, it played like an almost almost like a different genre. It's like a courtroom law legal thing, which is completely removed from what Breaking Bad was. Um, yeah, El Camino is an extension of Breaking Bad that didn't need to get made. That was narratively a bit dull. Uh, that's that steals our imagination away from us and makes something concrete when I don't think that should be made. Is my opinion. <laughs> hmm. Because like the thing, I don't, I don't, I question why we all needed to find out this about Jesse. Like it's so much better, I think, if you leave stories untold and then they, um, they are made manifest in your in your mind. You know, like the story of Jesse exists in your mind, and what exists in your mind is going to be way better uh, than what anyone could put on screen because you can have multiple versions of a story running in your head at any one time and the speculation about like oh i wonder what happened to jesse is so much more fun than like here's exactly what happened to jesse there you go um it's kind of as you intended as you would have thought he got free um he got free and he escapes and that's it and everyone lives happily ever after and it's just kind of like unnecessary yeah i don't know no i i, I kind of see what you're saying but I don't think any of it needed to be made. Like, I don't think Better Call Saul needed to be made either, but it, it's still, you know, it was still good. And I liked seeing how it happened. And, like, his story... His story isn't over because it it is... Like, we learn he gets away and then he gets the start afresh and we don't know what happens to him from that point. Like, I think if it was a, a new story about Jesse in Alaska... I would definitely be on the same page as you. Yeah, but like the end of um, the end of El Camino is definitely has more of a final note to it. Um, yeah. Than than the Breaking Bad, and 
because of that, it kind of like, you just kind of like park it. It's like, oh, that's that's done. You park it in your head, like, oh, that's done. And any further imagination or speculation or rumor or uh, hanging out on the internet discussing the fate of Jesse is just, that, that is at an end now because it's just like he lives in Alaska he- happily ever after because that's what's very heavily implied uh, mm. by El Camino. And I think that, that, I don't know, it's just, it's too like, we need to tie everything up here. It's like, no, we can, we need to, we can leave all these loose ends. It's too neat. Yeah. Um, And like, we can leave all these loose ends and allow us to speculate and allow the world of Breaking Bad to live on in our minds. And you don't need to milk it for all it's worth and like, you know, finish off every story and like, just, yeah. I I, I think it's a bit of a stretch to say that's what they're doing. I mean, they made a prequel or a sequel film about a character. I mean, if, if they had planned like a, a whole trilogy about all of the characters or something, maybe. But. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I hope that never happens. Uh, yeah. But this, but uh, you could see, I would imagine that if you take someone who has less integrity than say Vince Gilligan, because I, 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 I take, I, uh, I'm under the impression that he is extremely good at what he does and cares a lot. Um, so I don't think he would do it. But if someone mm-hmm. with less integrity, maybe all like, we can just keep making films about all of these characters. And yeah. that that I don't like. So I think, I don't know, I suppose El Camino is like uh, an example of the starting point of things. I think uh, a lot of things I don't like in film and in media right now. That's um, fair. Yeah, so that's why I, I didn't like it. Also, I know it's, it's not a big deal, but like everyone's older. I like that's just, it always weirds me out because like Jesse looks really different from Jesse in the show. Um, uh, he looks so much older like, and he's gotten a bit heavier as well. Um, and you're kind of like, well, hang on now. You're meant to be like in slavery. Uh, are you are you telling me that they're feeding you like lots of food and stuff to like fatten you up a little bit? Like it's bizarre. He should look <laughs> decrepit when he gets out, but he kind of looks well fed and slightly older than Breaking Bad Jesse. And I'm like, that, that doesn't drive me. It's bizarre. Did you like seeing Badger and Skinny Pete again? Did I like... Uh, yeah, yeah, but I'm not... Because I always thought you had a bit of an affection for those two. I No, I did, totally. But I'm, I'm not one to be all, like, nostalgic. Like, oh, look, there's two people I really like and stuff. Like, if I <laughs> want to see Badger and Skinny Pete again, I'll rewatch Breaking Bad. That's fair. Um, but I do love Badger and Skinny Pete. <laughs> I love their just, like... I love their sort of uh, pseudo-academic back-and-forth ramblings to one another it's fantastic uh i remember watching i linked this in the show notes actually i watched um the i don't know what's the word for the thing it's where all the actors sit around a table and just read through the episode um table read i think table read that's it there's a table read for the final episode of breaking bad on the internet and it's mad everyone's just doing their thing everyone's reading and then it gets to badger and skinny pete but only one of them was there at the table read uh there was a stand in front of them but anyway they 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 start with their back and forth like pseudo-academic nonsense and like everyone just can't help but laughing like they just break professionalism (laughs) because it's just hilarious i think they were banging on about star (laughs) trek or something and about the continuation of consciousness that may or that does or does not occur uh when you activate a transporter and it just it's just great. <laughs> I just love the two of them. It's they're amazing. But yeah, so that that is El Camino. Uh shall we should we really quickly go on to the last point I want to bring up? Yes, please. Okay, so Kazakhstan. I have been waiting to hear about this for months now. <laughs> 
I know, right? Uh, I was in Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan was class. I can't really talk about it all that much because it was class in a sort of natural beauty sort of class, which mm-hmm. is kind of very hard to put into words. Like on the face of it, all all we did really was just wander up and down mountains and see beautiful lakes and things. And that's kind of what we did most days. Uh, so I, I can't really talk too much about the holiday. But we also went to... Moscow. We had a we had a layover in Moscow, oh, uh, cool. and I went to Red Square. And if you want to click on the link that says "Do not click on this," uh, describe what you're seeing in the picture and give me your immediate thoughts. And w- fair warning here: where this might get slightly political, but I genuinely do want to get Bill's thoughts on this. What are you seeing? Um. So that looks like a guy in a a, a Soviet era sort of military officer outfit. The, is he is he a Stalin impersonator? He is a, a Stalin impersonator. He is, yes. He's got like he's got a little little Joseph Stalin mustache, and he he's talking to um he's talking to two people: a lady in a sort of a, a blue suit, and a man in a uh, waistcoat and and shirt and a cap. Do you reckon um, the guy? Do you recognize the guy in the waistcoat, the shirt, and the cap? Oh, that's Lenin. That's Lenin. So we have a Stalin impersonator and a Lenin impersonator. What are your thoughts? Uh, this is like Soviet tourism. Uh, sort of, yeah. So they were just hanging out around Red Square and people could take pictures with them. And was the lady taking a picture with them or was she also impersonating someone? No, uh, from the impression I got was that she had just taken a picture or something. And she was talking to him about like what the pictures, about getting the pictures or paying for them or something like that. So she is, she is, a, she is a civilian. Huh. So is are your thoughts that that's just weird, or do they? Um, because I the reason why I bring this up is because I've shown this to a couple of people and there's been markedly different reactions to this that range from the sort of meh to like the extreme hostile to like the extreme sort of fearful reaction to it, um, which I found was interesting. I I kind of don't know what to make of it. I mean, like I know people, I know tourists like that kind of thing to to mix with or you know to get photos with people uh, and impersonators and stuff um i mean it's it's a little odd that one of them is stalin <laughs> i i find that a bit strange um but i mean i guess it's not my history or my place to to have a strong opinion on it um i'm surprised by it Okay, but I suppose thinking about it, like yeah, I mean, like I can see tourists being into it. That's that's really interesting that you're taking a tourist slant on it. So c- can I give you my my take on it? Yeah, um, and I realize you just said that's not really our place to comment on it, and like I guess that's kind of right, but I kind of have a strong opinion, so just just bear with me. Um, the uh, I think it's just really insensitive, like because like these th- these men. Um, did some terrible things, and I, I, I get the thing about like, you know, you know, springtime for Hitler the musical. Yeah, I get the whole thing of well, like the, the producers, the producers. The, sorry, yeah, the producers. Yeah. Springtime for Hitler is a song in that musical, isn't it? Um, I think I it think might it be the name of the musical within the film. Okay, all right, okay. Um, but anyway, so like that, I get the idea of like we, you know, making fun of monsters. Uh, is like cathartic is a form of catharsis like I get that but like there's also the sort of like making them seem 
innocent and objects of kind of friendliness and fun and characterizing them, uh, characterizing them is, I don't know, it's really just, it doesn't sit with me very well. So if you're a tourist and you come to Red Square and then there's big old friendly Stalin coming up to you and you're like, do you want to take a picture with me in front of the square? It's like, yay, fun time. Everyone loves Moscow. It's like, that's, I don't know, man. That's like helping whitewash history. Do you know what I mean? Just like, forget everything you know about how, how terrible the person is that I am uh, impersonating here. It's cool. You're in Red Square, fun picture, blah, blah, blah. And that's, I don't know. That's just, it's, it, it made me feel really uncomfortable. Um, yeah. To, to see that. Um, now, that was my reaction. Do you want to hear the reaction of another person that I that was an interesting take? Yeah, I do. So this person, I, who will remain nameless, um, this person's take was that this is not just an innocent sort of making light uh, of history, the way I took it as. It's like state-sponsored uh, ideological warfare, right? So like mm-hmm. you as a tourist show up in Red Square and like say as a Western tourist, like um, who has been fed the narrative that Russia and the Soviet Union are like these evil entities who seek to do wrong in the world. That's what you've been fed your entire life. You come to Russia and you see all the friendly Russians, like, you know, everything you know about uh, Stalin is actually just like inflated Western propaganda. Over here, he's like this this fun character and you go hang out with Lenin and Stalin. They're actually not as bad as they as people say they were. And then that sort of idea that like you come home from that with perhaps a changed opinion on Russia and that perhaps this is like the state putting these people here. That that was that person's take. <laughs> what do you think of that? Um, I think that can be true without being deliberate and explicit. I think ideological, the ideological apparatus of the state doesn't need to explicitly plan to do things like that, but mm-hmm. I think it can exist and serve that purpose. Um, nonetheless so this so you're saying it, it doesn't necessarily have to be Putin making a call that like full style and needs to be out and about it's just there's something in the air and this kind of just all happens yeah okay that makes sense yeah, I, I, can, I, I, can I mean I, I would I would I, I can certainly potentially buy that it is it is fulfilling that function um, I would be skeptical that that function is being deliberately uh, dictated Mm, okay okay Um, and like if it's if if it's a possible that that function is occurring um mm -hmm. what is your response to that like are you filled with like would you have an anger take on that or a worry take on that or uh would you be um, frightened i would find it uh unpleasant and i would find it uh gross um but i mean and this is not to in any way downplay that or downplay any of the issues at hand here, but that is just standard for all for all uh, empires and, and hegemonies to, to do that kind of thing. Sure. Um, like, there's Churchill impersonators. Yeah, that's... No, that's, there, fair. that's there's, fair. There's films about how how, how great how great Churchill was, um, and he planned an entirely unnecessary famine. Um mm-hmm. And he uh, deployed troops against strikers, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I would say, 
those concerns may be real and valid and entirely fair, but at the same time, I would be skeptical of anyone who is raising those concerns um, solely when they see it happening in Russia, with, without similar critique of it happening in the West. Right, sure. That's that's a that's a very valid point. That is a very valid point. Um, yeah, don't don't troll uh, uh, don't troll stones if you live in a glass house, sort of thing. Maybe. Yeah. Or take exactly. Them. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like there's there's wildly popular uh, musicals idolizing slave owners. You know, <laughs> completely uncritically idolizing slave owners um, in America. Um, yeah, that is the crazy. I'm assuming you're referring to Hamilton. That is crazy yeah. to think to think of when you're all like, "Wow, like you know, Washington. He was this really like wonderfully patriotic dude who believed in democracy and all the good stuff in life." And then you're like, "He, yeah. he also owned slaves." And you're like, "Ha!" Well, well I, I think I read recently one of the reasons he got offered the position he got offered as the the general of the Congress or whatever was because he was one of the largest slave owners in his region. So, you know, yeah, there's that. <laughs> there's that. It's crazy. On on the Churchill thing, do you know what I always find nuts? Um, listening to uh, World War One and World War II um, media, uh, mm-hmm. documentaries and podcasts, and people, people who use the word great in relation to Churchill, and it's like great is one of those words in the English language that is not, uh, it's not sufficient uh, in many ways because great... Like implies like uh, almost like kind and mm-hmm. uh, like productive. It, it implies good. It implies good, but you can be like like in in, in many ways like Hitler can be um, what's called termed great because he did big things that had real and significant consequences. But it, it would feel it could bizarre. be an expression of the magnitude of his influence. Exactly. But it would be, it would feel bizarre to use the word great there because it does have that good connotation. So every yeah. time I'm listening to a World War uh, two or one or two documentary and they mention like the great Winston Churchill, I'm always kind of like, I, I know what you're getting at there, but great is a like a squirrely word. Like it's bizarre. Mm. It's 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 kind of weird to use great to describe uh was it was he was he the home secretary that uh deployed uh military auxiliaries against british subjects i think he was <laughs> i i have, <laughs> no, I have that, no idea maybe the, yes i mean he he was he was behind the the auxiliaries and the black and tans yeah yeah like he, in he, over, to the... he oversaw their deployment in ireland and sure. the irish were subjects of the british empire sure uh, i think a lot of times when people use the word great in reference to churchill they kind of uh are are using it? Uh, if oh, sorry, if they're using great is in terms of good for Churchill. They're using it only really looking at uh, his actions on the continent. Yeah. Uh, without ever really yeah. thinking about Ireland, like like no no World War One or two documentary uh, I've ever watched ever touches on uh, what occurred in Ireland during those times. Um, mm-hmm. And any talk of Churchill is always like, you know, like, as in, like, he warned against Gallipoli. He was this great man who had great foresight, who understood that, like, going into Gallipoli, Gallipoli was suicide and no one listened. And if everyone just, like, listened to Churchill, everything would be great because he is great. Uh, that's all true. But they also then don't mention what goes on there. Yeah, if I remember podcast correctly, he he was, I think he was Admiral of something. He was something. Lord, Lord of the Admiralty. 
Yeah, sure. And uh, he uh, saw that, yeah, I think he was like, we should not go into Gallipoli for what was the bloody reasons? I can't, there was some oh. explicit reason why they shouldn't. And they did anyways. Like he fair, was fair enough. I, Okay, I thought he was he was behind that. I, I had that the wrong way around. Fair enough. Oh, oh I could be wrong now. Uh, you're breaking me down it. But I thought, I thought that was it. If, if, if listen, uh, listeners, fact check me if if I'm totally talking about a hoop. I'll correct it. Uh, I'll correct it next episode. But um, but yeah, there certainly were aside from Glippy, there certain were times where Churchill um was a commanding leader. Um, yeah, and that is true, and it's also true that he was very not okay in Ireland. You know, and and in most of the rest of the empire. Yes, and most most of the rest. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but anyway, that is uh that is all of Green Room. I'm sorry, it was a very long Green Room. We had, we had the bank, we had Kazakhstan. Uh, what else did we have? We had uh, the letter, and we had El Camino, and we had the marathon. Yeah, we had a lot in that. I'm sorry, it was a very green room heavy thing. This is what happens when we record once every week. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, do you have anything uh, to add, uh, or should we should we wrap it up for this week? Uh, let's let's wrap it up. Cool. All right, uh, Bill. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for recording on such short notice. Um, My pleasure as well, and such short short turnaround times as well. Um, listeners, thank you very much for listening. Like we said in the last episode, because of the fact that we were delayed. Uh, for just reasons um, this hopefully there'll be another episode like within uh, two or three weeks of this one mm-hmm. as well so stay tuned for that one um, thank you for listening thank you for supporting the show on uh, Patreon go check out some uh, Bill Polian merch it's all fresh fresh off the presses um, <laughs> hope you enjoyed until next time Edgar, Edgar out, out.